Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So keep a close eye on our laws and our leaders. No justice for Mike Brown. There's none for you either. Ferguson burning. And the world's turning away. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Today on the podcast, we have an old friend visiting us. Dick Weiss was an award-winning writer, editor, and writing coach at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch for more than 30 years. He left the newspaper in 2005 and started his own company, Weiss Wright an editing and coaching service for anyone with a story to tell. We're going to talk a little about that because it was an interesting leap, but we're going to focus first on a project that sprang from his work with an organization called Forward Through Ferguson. That's a group dedicated to achieving racial equity in the region. And, of course, we're talking Ferguson, Missouri. Today's topic, change through stories. So first, Dick, can you explain a little bit more fully about this effort and how you got involved? Well, First, I want to say thank you for having me, and it's great to be with a couple of legends in journalism. Uh, even though I'm older than you, I can call you legends. And uh, also honored to be like starting your second year of podcasting. Am I right? And uh, long may you reign. I hope it goes as long as, say, MASH or something like that. Oh, please not. <laughs> <laughs> but now what was the question? Okay. How did you get involved in this? Oh, okay. So... Uh, I uh, after I left the Post Dispatch, um, I you know as, as you mentioned, I started my own business and uh, uh, modestly named it after myself and wanted to do uh, storytelling in, in any way I could. And it's interesting because you get into all kinds of um, projects, uh, and the the most in- interesting and important to me were social justice projects. And along comes uh, Ferguson. And uh, at that point, I had been um, working uh, with a startup um, organization uh, called the St. Louis Beacon, which was started by a bunch of post-dispatch expatriates. And it was a nonprofit online uh, situation. And uh, we were doing pretty well with that. And eventually that merged with St. Louis Public Radio. But uh, so I was following this as sort of a, a, a news guy very avidly. And after Michael Brown was shot, uh, a commission was formed by the governor to uh, address all the inequities in the region because the Michael Brown situation was the tip of the iceberg. And most of people who live outside the area think, well, it was a, it was a, it was a shooting and uh, we, you've had them down here in Florida and, there are, and there's some in Maryland and, and, and all over, and we had ours. But that was just uh, a starting point for looking at all the inequities that were going on. And uh, so... The Ferguson Commission, after it issued 135 or so 
uh, recommendations about what the community could do and should do, uh, they stood up a nonprofit called Forward Through Ferguson. And as it so happened, the general manager of the St. Louis Beacon uh, became the executive director of Forward Through Ferguson, so I sort of had an in, and I said, can I help you? And she said, yeah, you could help us. Um, you could be a story catalyst. And I'm going, I well, love really? that. I love that. <laughs> you know, and I'm an old school guy. I mean, I started when uh, we were still uh, knocking out stories on typewriters, okay? And, you know, you were either an editor or you were a reporter. Right there with you, buddy. Or a photographer, right? And she says, story catalyst. That sounded a little new agey to me, but, you know, I was interested. I wanted the job. So I thought, okay, I'll be a story catalyst. What does that mean? He says, we want to write stories that will help people engage with this topic. And what do you suggest we do? And, and so I had a, an editor, um, Eric uh, Ratnoff, um, who I must credit because he's, he's a genius, who was assigned to me, and he, he, I mean, he said, suggest something. He started sort of giving me carte blanche, and I, said, and I had just read uh, Isabel Wilkerson's book, um, The Warmth of Other Sons, which is about the diaspora of African-American families uh, from the South to the North to the West to the East. And she would follow one family. She followed like six or seven or eight families, I think it was, and follow them over generations uh, to see how they got from here to there with their lives. And I said, maybe we can do something like that for Forward Through Ferguson. And, of course, Isabel Wilkerson, I think, took t 10 years to write that book. Okay, And at the end, though, she got a MacArthur Fellowship. Uh, so what's that? Like you get a million dollars to do what you want. So, yeah, so maybe I can do a story in three months just like that and get a MacArthur Fellowship. Well, that wasn't to be. But uh, we found fam a family uh, to start with, the Caldwell family, who had actually – uh, written about um, 15 years earlier, and uh, I knew them, and uh, they trusted me, and I said, well, maybe we'll start with this family because we can get kind of a running start. And I finished the story, and it's all ready to go, and um, the uh, Nicole, who the executive director, had moved on by then, and we got a new executive director. And she wanted to do something else. And I couldn't argue with that because there's a lot to do on the racial equity front. So I had to uh, – I went to Eric and I said, what do we do with this story? He says, well, just put it out on your own. So I did. Uh, story number one, I said, Eric, uh, we were going to do 12 of these. And he said, well, you're going to have to figure that out because, you know, no more money for, for this. And so I started my own – essentially my own company – uh, incorporated it with the state of Missouri, applying for a 501c3. I created a new team. We had a team. I was I didn't do this story alone. Uh, and I created, a, a drafted a new team, a very diverse group, about 10 folks, to do the editing, data crunching, presentation, and so on. And um, uh, we're at work now on stories two and three. Let's just talk about a little bit more about the Caldwell family and how you – so you're, you're picking a family to help illustrate this – the whole situation with education? Yes. Yeah, so the idea uh, is what is it uh, – we have um, – this is true in every community. There uh, people have – there are people who have advantages in terms of getting a good education. There are people who are very disadvantaged. And uh, in our community – uh, the Caldwells uh, grew up 
uh, over many generations. Uh, they go back to the sharecropping days. So we're able to trace them back there. And, and if you know the stories of what it's like to be a sharecropper is you maybe go to school, get some schooling until about the third grade, and then you're big enough to go in the fields where you have to pick the cotton or, or the crop. And so that's how they started, very typical. The, for uh, better opportunities, the family moves up to St. Louis, and uh, the next generation maybe gets to eighth grade, and the next generation gets through high school, and always segregated environments, even to this day. And uh, what is that? What's that impact on the family? How does that? Uh, one of the uh, kids in this story, Avita Caldwell, who's now 28 years old, went to Vashon High School, which uh, at the time, uh, totally uh, all black, also one of the worst uh, schools in terms of outcomes in the community, and Avita graduated second in her class, and uh, then borrowed money and got grants and got into St. Louis University and got a degree in communications. And when she gets out, first of all, that was mind-bending for her just for the first time to sit in a class with white people. Very daunting for her. Uh, But she got her degree, and she gets out, and she has no what we would call social capital. She doesn't have the connections. You guys went, where'd you go, Lane, to? uh, Virginia. Virginia. And where'd you go? Uh, Virginia Commonwealth. Okay. Probably you had friends who said, hey, I know of a job or, you know, I can introduce you to somebody. At Missouri, if she'd gone to the University of Missouri, they have something called the Missouri Mafia. They will just get you placed. I mean, you're just – if you you go to Mizzou, don't worry. You're going to end up with a job. She didn't have that. She didn't have any of that. And I got a, actually got a call from her uh, a few years um, back after she was graduating and she says uh, mr weiss i don't know if you remember me but you wrote a story about my class when i was in the fifth grade and i I just graduated from st louis u could you help me find a job well how could i say no and uh she uh from age hmm, 24 to 28 uh was out looking for jobs and could not really make it even with my help uh, because uh, I think there, there just were some deficits that she couldn't uh, address. And so that's, that's one part of this story is if you grow up in a certain way and if you're cut off from the larger community, what that does to your future. And because she was so compelling, she beat the odds. Most of her classmates didn't graduate from high school. Very few of them went on to college. She beat the odds. She's a very sort of sympathetic figure, and yet she has a hard time finding like a full-time gig. So that's just part of it. That's interesting. So they and so you had you actually you had an in with this family, so you didn't have to go. You didn't go casting around, but you could have, I guess, in fact, to find somebody. Yes, and it's not hard to find families with these stories. I was fortunate enough before, or just as I was doing that. Um, I was I juggle a lot of things, and which is good because I have a short attention span. So if the one story begins to bore me, I can just go over to the other one. I was writing a book about the Matthews Dickey Boys and Girls Club, which started in the 1960s, and I had signed a contract to interview 20 people who lived in uh, really the most impoverished zip codes in St. Louis. And this club had been were were basically helping raise these first boys and then girls, and um, I was working with uh, Martin Matthews, the co-founder, who was 92 years old, and he would call me up and he'd say, 
Mr. Weiss, we called each other Mr. We Mr. each other. He said, Mr. Weiss, there's there's this kid with a great story. You got you really got to talk to him. And, I, you know, I'd already done my two dozen. Well, I ended up interviewing 75 people. And the kid with the great story was invariably like 70 years old because, you know, when you're 92, everybody looks like a kid. And I got immersed in I in this these communities. And I was growing uh, – some of these – guys I was interviewing were my the same age as me. I lived four miles from where these people lived and had a completely different existence. And one of the things that comes up in with both stories that's just so salient is if you grow up in the zip code 63106, which is North St. Louis, inner city, or 63105, one numeral off, a few miles away, which is suburban St. Louis. I lived two blocks from 63105. Your average life expectancy in 63106 is 18 years shorter. And a lot of people will say, well, that's just because in 63106, everybody's getting shot. That's a very small part of it. it. Your life expectancy is shorter if you do not graduate high school. Your life expectancy is shorter if you are living in an area that is you know, people aren't wor- worried about pollutants. You're suffering asthma and, and so on. If you don't have uh, fresh food, if you're buying your uh, your food at the uh, the Quick Mart, uh, that will shorten your life. So many other um, social determinants that are involved in uh, how if, whether you can have a healthy life. So this is you know these these stories. This racial equity thing is really about life and death. So you were you were feeling so you've got a whole series of subjects and themes that you want to hit in this project, um, and you were feeling like the Michael Brown story on a national level was way too surface, right? And the people were sort of taking sides, but not right. not it, understanding. Right. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, it became that, as we like to say these days, tribal. It's you're on one side, you're either Black Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter, that kind of thing. And I, and uh, there's a lot around uh, police that needs to be addressed around police shootings and so on. But if you look into the life of Michael Brown before he got there, before he got ran into this trouble, whether it was his fault, the police officer's fault, or a little bit of both, the way in which he grew up and in the neighborhood in which he grew up and in the, the kind of family that he had, um, uh, it was um, if it didn't happen to Michael Brown, it was going to happen to somebody else and, and does every almost every day. I have a practical question for you. I think a lot of people, um, journalists, are looking at freelancing or have done freelancing or want to do freelancing. Where does the money come from for a project like this? Well, I'll tell you, that that is, um, I had to be, uh, I guess what you'd call creative and resourceful and use the assets that I had. So I was born to privilege, right? 
and uh, privilege being I grew up in uh, a nice, safe suburban community, and I went, all I had to do was go to high school and study hard, and I was off to college and so on and and off to the races in, in terms of my life. So my mom was a... Um, a pioneering uh, feminist uh, public relations person in the community. Everybody knew my mother. My father was a television news producer. Lots of people knew my dad. Uh, And so we knew lots of people who had money. So I put my white privilege chips, essentially, on the table, and I went to uh, people who uh, knew my mom and dad and and who knew me as I became an adult, and I said, would you give me $10,000 for one of these stories? And they said, oh, sure. It was like... Uh, I want to live in Dick's world. I know. That well, is not the newspaper I mean, world. That's privilege, right? And, you know, you can't help being born to privilege, right? It's what you do with it. It's what you do with it. And so uh, and a former editor, uh, Richard Weil, was my first donor. So he knew me. He knew my family. And for uh, – I don't want to – he, he, his family had money, and I said, Dick, this is what I want to do. Would you give me 10000 uh, Essentially, each of these stories can cost $10,000 to do. And, he, he, yeah, sure. And that includes the publication itself? Because yeah, nice, if you guys can't see it, we'll put it on the website, but it's a nice slick book and with yeah, photos it's, and it's charts. and printing costs. It's We're going to have events. I didn't get into the story catalyst part, uh, but, but I should. We're going to have events around it. I'm going to... Uh, pay the people uh, who were uh, the people in the story are going to be paid to come to the events, you know, appearance fees and things like that. This is a little bit different. It's probably can't do this at, right. you know, the, the Tampa Bay Times because of various things. But, uh, you know, I can I, I can do things di- a little bit differently. And uh, uh, I want to pay the writers well because Good writing deserves good money, and I. Amen. One thing that I really dislike is the how little uh, stringers uh, or freelancers are paid, and their stories uh, potentially uh, attract tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of readers or hits or whatever, and they get so little out of that. So I, I just I said I want to pay my writers well, and I they don't even these people who have, uh, are donating money to this guy don't even ask me what are you going to pay your writers? Uh, they just trust me. Do you, you know. mind discussing that? Because I think we've never mm-hmm. talked about freelancing here, and I know friends who make ten cents a word, and I know friends who make two dollars right. a word. Like, what is what is a good range for freelancers? Oh, well, so um, I'm paying writers now. Uh, here, here's one thing. So you you work at the Tampa Bay um, Times, okay? And you you get your benefits, and you get uh, you, you have a good day at work or a bad day at work, you get paid no matter what, right? With a freelancer. Everything, every minute matters, right? You can't have a bad day. You can't waste any time because you're getting more or less paid by the hour. And so I pay my writers $150 an hour. And I said, I'm not going to that, – that's huge. There's Can probably nobody. <laughs> <laughs> wait wait till you're on Medicare because I don't, I'm not giving you benefits. That's <laughs> but, amazing. And I said, no, I'm not going to give you – uh, $150 an hour to find the person you're going to write about. It's time on task. Okay, so you know there's a lot of searching. You know, for you know, I know when you do a story, if you want to do a story on a topic, you got to find the person, the right person. You're like a casting director, so they're not getting paid for that, but they're getting paid to write, 
to interview, to research uh, the material. Now, I'm going to supplement this with, I'm hoping uh, to attract a couple of universities, uh, journalism classes for pe- people to be researchers, and you know, we'll pay them less uh, so I can save. But basically, that's kind of how I budgeted it. And we'll see how it turns out, because maybe I've under-budgeted over, but maybe somebody will give me a bill that is like crazy. But, you know, I've, I did this first story, so I know how many hours it took me to do this one. So we'll see how that works out. But, yeah, I, I, I believe in paying writers, photographers, producers of good content, good money. It's only right. Dick, what's your, what's your time frame for the, the series that you're trying to put out? Well, it's interesting because Lane just finished up something that took three years, right? And, and I know that it was very unusual to be able to do that, but my time frame is three years. And I, what I want to do is crank out one of these booklets every three months. And I'm probably, well, there'll be, I'm sure there'll be a little bit of slippage, but we are doing some stories concurrently. So if one comes to fruition sooner than the other, you know, I got a backup. And, and then, but the other part of this is that I, we are scheduling events as part of the story catalyst aspect of this. We're scheduling events in the community. So that when we go out, uh, I'm not trusting that people will find this on social media. We have media partners, uh, St. Louis Magazine, uh, AM Talk Show, uh, the NPR affiliate uh, working with this, uh, KSDK, the NBC affiliate is uh, going to be working with it. So that story will get out in that way. This is a 45-minute read. This is like I tell people, you get on a plane from St. Louis to Chicago, wheels up, wheels down, you you can read this, okay? Maybe you can relate to that. If you're um, not used to flying to Chicago, if you get on the bus you know, on one end in St. Louis and ride, ride it all the way to the end, that's how long it takes to read the story. But some people won't will want to engage with it for five minutes. And so that's why, you know, maybe that's a Channel 5 thing. Uh, they do it that way. And... Uh, but the big thing to me are these events. We bring the family into a church, the church basement, the social responsibility circle, what have you, and the family comes in. And we had already, we've done a couple of, of events, and the one that my favorite was a little bit of, kind of an off-Broadway production uh, because we weren't really set up. We brought uh, Evita in, the young woman I was talking about, and her uh, seven-year-old nephew. And so I get up and I drone on for, you're listening here, droning like I am. And then uh, Evita spoke for about 15 minutes. And then we bring up little Jason, who, who had been to visual and performing arts school, magnet school. And so he knew, he takes the microphone and he knows how to talk to the back of the room. He knows, he is, even though he's of tender years, he's read his story. He contextualizes it for his audience and talks about how this one school was so bad because all they wanted me to do was sit still and now I love the school I'm in and and so on and if I was one thing I do so first thing I say when I talk to the group I said we're not here to ask you for money we're here to ask you to engage to think about one thing you could do to address uh, the racial equity situation in our community and so I would have left with $1,000, I'm sure, just based on Jason. But the idea was uh, people came to me and said, well, you know, what is it that you think we should do? So I actually I created these bracelets. Of course, you can't see it on the podcast. To remind them, it has the website where you can get the full story and then the hashtag, one thing I can do. And then we give them ideas about 
what's one thing they can do? They, uh, and a lot of people think, well, mentoring or reading to a child, that's a fairly typical thing. But if you're a businessman, you can help a, a kid who maybe just got his GED uh, hone his interviewing skills or write a cover letter or something like that. And to, um, uh, we have six partner agencies uh, that are working with us that um, are, will address the one thing you can do. Do you get them to come out of these uh, events with a plan? I mean, is that a goal? Well, uh, what the goal is is to say, okay, you're gonna, we want you to wear this bracelet uh, when you leave so that you remember to do something, okay? We've given you some suggestions. We're going to send you an email and a text uh, or text, whatever way we can connect with you to find out if you did anything, and then to maybe give you some more suggestions. And so this is just beginning to start. Where You know, they say when you weren't raising money, you're supposed to uh, have metrics. And so we're trying to do that. I'm going to try to do that sort of scientifically. But, uh, you know, I'm, run, I'm running this out of my little office, my home office in, in my pajamas. So um, although I call it the worldwide headquarters of Weisswright.com, you know. How many so. copies did you circulate? So uh, I have made, of that one you have, uh, we're at about 500 copies, and I haven't given them all out, but um, they will be given out. And we'll, every time we have an event, uh, as many events as we can possibly muster, uh, we can print these, like get them ready within three weeks. That's the other thing about the new technology and everything is you can do this print on demand uh, pretty quickly. We'll include links to anything that um, Dick gives us on the on the podcast uh, uh, when we when we post this. Um, I just want to shift gears really quickly because we're we're um, going on uh, our time here, but uh, to sort of the whole idea of life after journalism or life after a newsroom and how, what that's been like for you and advice you might have for people who who are in that situation. Well. I- if uh, I I, ne- I didn't go to journalism school, I majored in Russian studies, and uh, so very practical. What do, what do I know? But if I and I've taught at some journalism schools, um, and I would recommend that uh, any young journalist learn uh, either through their journalism program or business school or whatever, learn entrepreneurship, and that you are uh, you should hyphenate journalist entrepreneur because you need to. Uh, figure out how to raise money. Now, in the old days, we we came in and the uh, money came in from the sixth floor at our at our place, the advertising department. We didn't have to worry about that. We just had to fill out our expense accounts and come in and get and do our work and get our benefits. But now you have to figure out how to how to do it now, and then you have to be think about well, everybody's got assets. Like I said, I my parents knew people of some wealth, so that was helpful to me. But you have to imagine, what is it that I have? What are the resources that I have that I can leverage, that I can use? And I actually learned how to be an entrepreneur uh, by, in part by having uh, hosting the National Writers' Workshops and persuading people like Lane DeGregory and Maria Carrillo to come speak for free. Okay, how do you pull that off? You have to have a pretty good imagination to do that. It was a and good so, party. Yeah, <laughs> so we, and then uh, and then to get them to come back. Well, I got I got them into the hotel suite that had the hot tub, and uh, you know, Who's gonna there say you go. That? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna okay. So that's um, we're gonna wrap up this episode. If you have a question for Deck or for Lane, um, 
and you or you want to suggest a podcast topic to us, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. And again, we'll put links on this podcast. Join us next week on Wednesday morning as we continue uh, to talk to Dick. We're going to keep him aboard for another podcast. This podcast was produced by Monica Herndon. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.